Thank you, Alan. Frame Ministries in Poland has been working there for years, making a difference in that community, uh, going through the lives of kids and, and things, uh, bringing people to Christ. And I think the girls that are going to have this wonderful experience, I told them I'd like to be tucked away in their suitcase and go with them, um, and, and just to be able to, to work on that mission front and to see how these lives that just need to have Christ poured into them being changed. And so we'll keep them in prayers as they're making uh, plans for that trip. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of Romans chapter 8. And we're going to begin looking at our text today, verses 12 through 17. I like this text. Um, you know, so, some passages in the Bible you kind of cringe at because you realize uh, this is going to be something I'm going to have to really put down some limits on for myself, but not this passage. This is, this is excellent news. This is great news that uh, I, I could not wait to get into Romans 8. Building up from Romans 1 and following, it's been, you know, you know, you guys are miserable people. You guys are sinners. You're going, you know, destroy your lives and, and all of this. But now we come to this wonderful passage here. We learned last week that we have been battling this fallen nature uh, of ourselves and that's not who we are anymore. We no longer belong to the flesh. We have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, and we no longer have to fight that battle alone because He has given us His Spirit that lives within us and, and has changed our hearts and our minds, and, and it's, it is a joyous union that He has created for us. So we are now this new creation in Christ, and our old bodies of sin have been laid to rest. They've been buried with Jesus. No longer do we walk in the shadows of darkness, living for the gratification of our bodies. But now we, we rather walk in the light that's guided by the Spirit of God, not by our own making, but by what Jesus has done for us and through Him. And as we continue to make our way through this powerful chapter, Paul he continues here to, to just bring forth this wonderful praise to what God has done. He has spoken to us about the believer's deliverance from their past life and the difference that that makes now that we are in Christ. And, 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 and we are no longer condemned because of what we have done, but we have been set free from that and that we have this victory over the flesh and our desires that are accompanied with our human nature. And all of this is done because of what the Spirit of God has made for us. Now he's going to address another great joy that we have because of Jesus. We become, in this new creation, a part of the family of God. No longer a part of the family of Adam but we allow that person to die, and we are then birthed again and reborn into this new relationship with Christ. Quite literally, this sinful orphan that I was has now been, as he's going to tell us, adopted into a new family by the grace of God. So this week we're going to jump forward into verse 12 through 17, and we're going to discover something about this relationship with Christ uh, and, and, and that we have, in essence, somehow become a little indebted to him because of what he has done. So he tells us in verse 12 and 13, So then, brothers, because of all that God has done, we are debtors, not to the flesh, 
to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The debt that we owe is repaid by our Spirit-filled living. Being grateful to God for what He has done for us on the cross with Jesus then our response is, I want to live for you, and I want to live in a relationship with you that is different. This It's like being transformed from one existence into a new realm of reality. And I think that a lot of people in their formative years as, as, as youth, sometimes we looked at other families and we go, man, I wish I lived in that family. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had your kids tell you that? <laughs> You know, and, and we look at other families and go, oh, wouldn't it be great if he was my dad or if she was my mom or if I lived in that house and, you know, I got to go to school in that car. And, and we, we think about those things and we often wonder what it would be like and we imagine if I were in a different family, how would things be? So imagine being born into a family that was poverty-stricken. A family that was full of dysfunction and in essence just doomed for, for destruction. A family with no hope or prospect of a future. A family that was dying and they didn't even care about what happened in your life. And Now imagine along comes this kind and this gentle and this wealthy man. And he says, you know what? Why don't you come and move in with me? It's almost like that little orphan Annie musical in the story, you know? Out of poverty into a loving, beautiful place where all the needs are provided and taken care of and, and the joy and the love that is there that's expressed. That's where we want to go, right? And it sounds far-fetched. However, that is exactly what happens to us when we accept Christ as our Savior. We leave this dysfunctional family of humanity living as Adam as our father who taught us how to sin and we are then being adopted into a new family where there is love and there is compassion and there is grace and there is mercy and there is kindness and there is gentleness and there is peace and there is joy and all of our needs are being met. This is the family that Jesus wants to bring us into. So as Paul moves a little deeper into this 8th chapter, he, he's continuing to illustrate the superiority of the Spirit-filled life compared to the life of this flesh. He has already spoken of the, the deliverance that, that comes by the Spirit and the differences that are already noticed there when we are a part of Christ. But now in these next few verses, he speaks of the blessings that we get to share because of what he has done for us. He tells us that every saved person has been brought into the family of God and we get to enjoy all the rights and the privileges of a natural born child of God. So let's look at these verses, and we'll talk for a minute about the blessings of this adoption. Verses 14 and 15, we discover the blessing of our adoption. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, 
are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have this new family. That's the first thing we discover there in verse 14. According to Paul, when we died to our sinful lives, buried with Christ, we were raised into a new life, and this new life we become sons of God. And that is that we are removed from the family of Adam and we're transplanted into God's family. We are literally His children. No longer does He have an only begotten Son. Now He has a multiplicity of children. Those who will put their faith in Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3 says, See what kind of love that the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but what we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself, for He is pure. All right? So John's verses here, he is telling us that, that we are God's children now. This isn't something that happens when we go to heaven we are His children at this very moment, and that, that one day we will be just like our Father in heaven. I can't wait till that day. I want a new body. I don't want this one going with me. All right? And, and, and I may not get to pick it out, but I know it's going to be better than what I've got. But right now, I am His child. At this very moment, what He has done for us through Jesus he has declared us to be His child now. What a blessing that this is. Notice what it says there in verse 14. It says that for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What, what this means is that those who are in the family, they begin to act like the family, right? You know, there are certain people that, that sometimes they, just, they take on the, the character traits of their parents. I mean, even if you pick up the phone and you call them and someone answers at that other household and, and you go, uh-oh. And I've done this many times and I've called a son by his father's name. You know, and he loves it because his voice has changed, right? And he thinks he's big now. But you, you get it. You know, or you get confused. Okay, is this the mother or is this the daughter? I've never been confused. Is this, is this the daughter or the father? That never has happened. All right, there's a difference in that voice. But, but you know, we, we kind of get, we recognize sometimes even the phrases that they use and the, and the, the hint of a dialect or a, uh, just their speech patterns, they're all right there. And so when we're adopted into this family and we are spirit-filled and led by Him, we should begin to sound and act like our Father in heaven. And so that people will kind of get confused. Okay, who is this? Because they see the change that's taken place. The same holds true in the life of, of the believer. If a person is saved, they'll develop these traits like the father's family. The primary trait 
being that they will be led by the Spirit of God in their choices in life. You see, every child of God has the Holy Spirit living within him. That's what we're told in Romans 8 and 9. Remember, we read this last week. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God, what, dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God, what, does not belong to him. So we know that as he places his spirit in us, he then is making us to be more of a family resemblance. And it's interesting. Sometimes even an adopted child takes on the character traits of the parents that adopted them. And people have no clue that they've ever been adopted. Because they're being raised in that family. If the Spirit abides in us as we are a part of this family of God, He will make His presence known and He will change the life of the one who has surrendered to Jesus. By the way, this is a tremendous means of of gaining the assurance of our salvation, knowing that the more we're becoming like Christ in our actions and in our words and and everything about us, it, it, it lets us understand we're being led by the Spirit because things have changed in the manner in which we live. Second thing we discover here is another blessing is we have a new Father. That's what he tells us there in verse 15. All right? Paul is telling us that we have been delivered from our bondage of fear and that that we have been adopted into this family of God. Now, in many societies, adopted children either feel like they are a second-class member of the family or even society may look at them upon as a second-class member of society, not give them all the rights and privileges and, and all that goes with that. And that's very sad However, he's writing to the church in Rome. And the church in Rome has a total different understanding about adoption than what some place in this world may have understood. To be adopted in Rome was to be considered a great privilege. All right? The word adoption, it means to place as a son. And it's this picture of the adoption that's beautiful of what God does for the Christian. He places us as a son. In the ancient world, the family was governed by a Roman law that was called patria potestas. Patria potestas means the father's power. All right? The father had ultimate power over everything that went on in his family. And here's a hint. It doesn't even matter what age your children are. Your kid could be 56 years old, an adult, and you're his father. You still have power and control over him. That was Roman law, all right? So the law gave the father absolute authority over over his children so long as he lived. He could make them work. He could enslave them. He could sell them if he wished. He could even pronounce the death penalty on his children and the law would do nothing about it. That's power, all right? Regardless of the child's adult age, the father held all power over his personal and property rights. Patria potestas. Why doesn't that happen in America? 
Well, it doesn't. So, so in Rome, adoption is a very serious matter. Yet it was a very common practice to ensure that the family would not become extinct if the father had no male children. So this is a main reason why they would adopt somebody. They would then give him his name, and then that person would then propagate the name of that family ongoing. All right? When a child was adopted, there were three legal steps that were taken. First off, the adopted child was adopted permanently. All right? They could not be adopted today and disinherited tomorrow. When you adopted it, there was no changing. Permanency. And they received all that. Now, he was eternally secure as a son. Second, the adopted son immediately had all the rights of a legitimate son in the new family. And third, the adopted son completely lost all rights of his old family, his previous family. The adopted son was looked upon with his former family as being this new family. So all of his former debts, responsibilities, they were all abolished, they were all canceled out, and they were never brought up to him ever again. He didn't owe any of the things from the past. Everything was totally cancered. And when Jesus came to us, we were taken out of Adam's family and adopted into his family with a new father. All of our old debts from our previous family, this life of sin, they have been canceled. And they can never be charged against us again. Now, now you see where there's no condemnation? That, there, that when the sin has been removed, you can't go back and, and be judged for it anymore because this adoption into his family means all of my debt as part of the family of man, part of the family of Adam being my father, part of this body of sin and flesh, it's canceled, it's gone away with, and now I am permanently in his family and I owe no longer the debts of my sin. Isn't that wonderful news? All right. So the third blessing we have is this, we have a new freedom here in verses 14 and 15. It tells us that as children of God, we have been delivered from the power and the influence of our flesh, and we're no longer led about by Satan and the impulses of our body's desires. Now we are led by a spirit-filled life of God. Not only have we been delivered from our old leadership, but we've also been delivered from the life of fear of what may happen down the road. So we're brought into this new relationship with our new Heavenly Father, a relationship so close that Paul even says, you can call him Abba. Now that's not the music group from the 70s, all right? Abba is the term that is used for a little boy or a girl that they look up at their dad and they call him Daddy, all right? It's only this intimate relationship that a father and a child can have. And, and, and he says, we can call him Abba. Father. You see, this idea that is, we're brought into such an intimate relationship with God that we assume, even as a small child, that I don't have to worry about things when I go before God in heaven. 
that he receives me just as he would receive his little child. Maybe who's just gotten hurt and just needs to take some time and sit on dad's lap and let him tell him that things are going to be okay. There's this idea of intimacy and and dependence, but, but a complete lack of fear. You don't have to fear approaching God. It should be something that I love there was this picture, and I was going to research and get it, and I forgot. But it was John F. Kennedy in the Oval Office, and under his office desk, there was John John, right? Who else can go climb underneath the president's desk? I don't know if anybody ever did, right? But here we have the son of the president. He had no fear walking into that room and going before and, 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 and just being there and doing what a child does naturally. We don't have the fear to approach God. Wouldn't it be great to go and sit maybe underneath his throne for a little bit and see that perspective? Or even sit in the chair? He, he's okay with that because he's our dad. And he adopted us. And he wants to have this relationship with us. You see, when a family is filled with love as it should be, children will never fear their father. In fact, they take comfort in his presence. They find security in his strength, and they know that they can call him at any moment's notice, and he will be there for them. This is what we now have in God the Father because of what Jesus, his son, has done for us. The second main thing we discover here, this is in verse 16, is the blessing of our assurance. So he tells us in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Our relationship with the Spirit is this wonderful relationship. All right? and the child of God who has been blessed with this relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. So in this relationship we, we have, it was even predicted by Jesus himself of what he was going to do. So in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18, he's talking with his disciples, trying to prepare them for the fact that he was going to leave them. They didn't quite understand it at that time, but here's a part of that dialogue. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Well, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Isn't that awful? Awesome news that he just lays out for him. He said, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to leave you alone here. I'm going to send a helper that's going to come and be a part of your life. He's actually going to be in you. The world has no clue anything about him because of who they are, but you know him. Because he's going to dwell in you. And I love the fact that he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I am going to come to you. And then he goes on a couple chapters later in John chapter 16, and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Oh, what? Why? He says, For if I do not go away, the Helper, which is the Spirit, he will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. 
because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because, did I skip something? Concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but I cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has given is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I mean, this is a wonderful benefit and a blessing of being adopted into this family of God. Maybe we don't think about it very often, but it's a genuine blessing. There are times when we stumble and we fall. Even after we have gotten into this relationship with Christ... There are even times when we may doubt whether or not we are really saved. And those times of failure and doubt, they would be devastating and debilitating if it were not for the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit. All right? He provides us the comfort, the guidance, uh, the, the, the things that we need to press on in this journey of life with God. He leads us towards the things of God and He confirms the Word of God in our hearts, reassuring us of what God has done and said is true. And if we did not have the Spirit within us to comfort and to guide us and to even convict us, what an awful thing it would be. But in Christ we do. And His Spirit there is our helper. He's our comforter. He's our counselor. He's our guide. He is our convictor. He is our compeller. He moves within us so that we have the assurance of our salvation. The Spirit of God spends times with the redeemed, and this is the truth. We must not take for granted. He leads us and He teaches us to understand even His Word. And then we give all the glory to God for that. We also have this assurance of the reassurance in the Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God has fellowship with us by the grace of God and His goodness. Because of this relationship and the fellowship that He has with us, we have this reassurance that we have been born again and that we have been saved, not by anything we've done, but by what He has done for us and in us. He then speaks to our hearts, and He tells us things. I don't know how He does that, but He does. He guides us, and, and, and He gives us warning, and He gives us opportunity to understand maybe the direction that we need to go. He, he, he feeds us with the Word of God. When, when we don't know what to say, He gives us those words that we've already read, and He recalls those to our mind, and He comforts us, and He teaches us the truth. And if the Spirit of God never interacts in your life, maybe I would wonder about 
really where my commitment to Christ has been. If I really did allow that old body to be buried and to be put away, to be raised into a new life, because if I am raised into Christ, this is a part of this new life. The Spirit of God dwells within us. And see, the reassurance that we need, like, like a mother who wraps her arms around her child that's, that's not so sure of different things and brings him comfort and love and caring, the Spirit of God also somehow wraps His arms around us in those moments when we have fear and doubt which we should not have to be concerned really about. You see, God loves us. Matter of fact, He is what has been called this divine lover of our souls. Now that we are adopted in this family, we have this assurance, we also have something else that is a part of this. There's a blessing of affluence that comes as a result of being a part of this family of God. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. You see, our identity has changed in Jesus. No longer is it the John Wagner, apart from Christ, who everybody knew and all that, But now I am somebody different because I have been clothed in Christ. I've put on His lifestyle, His character, and He dwells within me with His Spirit. I am somebody different. I have a new identity. And He tells me here that along with that identity, I am known now as an heir of God. It teaches us that we are heirs of God, and we all know that an heir is promised a portion of the inheritance. As an heir is a beneficiary to the estate, we're not just placed within the family and then forgotten about. We're identified as an heir of God. Often people struggle in this life simply trying to make ends meet. Many times the money runs out before the end of the month does, right? You know? And so we know that we've, we've got to be more attentive to how we spend our money so that we don't put ourselves into debt. I don't think many of us here live a life of luxury or in excess. Now, some people may tell us that you do. All right? I mean, they may say, well, they, they have just too much. They, they're extravagant. Compared to a lot of people in this world, we are. But we are heirs of God, and our Father owns everything. Elon Musk has been in the news a lot lately. He's understood right now to be the wealthiest man in the world, right? He has nothing. <laughs> compared to God. May I remind you that our Heavenly Father is wealthy beyond measure? It's not just billions. It's beyond billions. It's beyond trillions or 
quadrillions or whatever number you can think of, all right? The Bible teaches us in Psalm 50, verses 10, 11, and 12, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. He owns it all. This is the Father that has adopted us into this new inheritance. We have the privilege of sharing in this vast wealth of our Heavenly Father. That's what Philippians chapter 4, verses 19 tells us. He says, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He supplies all your needs. Now, there's a difference between a need and a want, you know, the wish list out there. You know, and I know as, as we're getting time to birthdays and Christmas season, we start looking at wish lists that everybody has. These are our wants, right? Now, God supplies, make sure that you have all that you need. And a lot of times, and then some. But He has it all. He's able to meet all of our needs, no matter how great our needs may appear. What He has belongs to us right now. Luke 12, 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So what is our inheritance? What is this that we get to inherit? Not only are we the heirs of God, but we have been made joint heirs or fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. I, I, I know you've probably heard that term a lot, but what does it really mean to be a joint heir or a fellow heir? A joint heir has an equal share with all the other heirs. The estate is divided equally between all of them. So we are literally given an equal portion of the kingdom of God that he gives to his son, Jesus. Did you catch that? If his son gets to live in the main castle in heaven, you're not stuck someplace out in a little cottage. You get to live in the main castle of heaven. All right? We get an equal portion. Because this is what he has determined. Now, under Jewish law, the eldest son would get a double portion, all right, of the others. So if there were three boys, the, the inheritance would be split four ways, and the oldest son would get two of those shares. All right? If there were six sons, it would be split seven ways, and the oldest son would get two of those seven shares. He gets a double portion. Now, and we think about this, that doesn't seem fair. But that was the structure that God had set up with the Jewish people. All right? Under Roman law, however, there wasn't a special privilege for the eldest son. All sons got an equal share. Whether you were natural born into the family or adopted. 
So Paul tells us now, because of what Jesus has done for us, he's even given up his double portion to put us on equal footing when we stand before God in heaven as an inheritance. And I don't, I don't get that. I, I, I think that's unfair. But the Father loves me as much as he loves the Son. He loves you as much as he loves his only begotten Son. And he wants to bless you in his kingdom. When I think about it, it's the idea of getting things that amazes me. What I'm amazed about is when I come to understand that I have been placed on, on, in essence, an equal footing with Christ that I don't deserve, and I know I don't deserve it. But God chooses to bless. Now, don't misunderstand me. We are saved not by anything we have done, okay? We don't deserve. But we have been declared to be sons of God and we're given the same standing before God as His Son, Jesus Christ. I will never be Jesus. And neither will you. But when the Father in heaven looks at us, in His eyes, we're the same. One of the reasons is we have been robed in His righteousness. We have been clothed in Christ. And that's how He sees us. This blessing comes down to a finality here that I want to look at is our immortality. I know that as we pass through this life, we're going to go through difficult trials and, and, and times, and, and we're going to face hardships. I mean, that's obvious. We, we can't avoid that. That's part of this world. All right? But he tells us those who suffer with Christ, who endure the ridicule of this world, and the adversity that it brings with it, we will be glorified with Jesus. And our lives are often filled with heartache and pain because of what's happening in this world. A lot of people suffer persecution. We've not really fully experienced that yet. I want to put that little word yet out there. Because he tells us we will. I have friends around the world on missions that are in other countries that it is difficult for them to even express their faith privately, let alone publicly. And they've got to hide for fear of being caught. I spent some time in Ukraine back in 2006 helping a ministry get started the east side, which is now under control of Russia. There was a lot of tension even back then. Talking with the Christians that I had met, and they had to talk about their secret things that they had to do within the, in the realms of communism to continue to have their faith. One simple thing was done. 
in one of the communities there that I was at, they were permitted to have their church, and the adults could continue their church as long as they gave a kickback financially to the city government, all right? You guys can meet and collect your offering, but we get it, all right? So it's pay to play, or rather, pay to pray, right? But your kids can't be a part of this. You know what the church did? They dug a pit under the church, and they left the, the floorboards cracked so that in the middle of the night, the kids would sneak in underneath the church and they would hide out under the church. And then when they had services on Sunday morning, they could hear through the cracks of the floor the Word of God. But they had to do that secretly because even though they were paying to pray, your kids can't be a part of this. Sometimes a, a child would be caught and the father would be taken away. There's other persecution that's even worse than that today. Christians are losing their lives physically because of their faith. The fullness of our inheritance, however, will not be realized until we arrive home in our Father's house in heaven one day. And when we get to heaven, all the hardships, all the struggles, all the pressures and the persecutions that this world may have to offer us are going to disappear. And we don't have to worry about those things. And we have confidence and assurance because the God who can supply all of our needs will take care of this. There is no comparison between what we have now in the Spirit and what we endure within the flesh. That's what Paul tells us. There's no comparison. God has encouraged us as His children when we read this passage of Scripture. Now, there may be those here that this morning that are struggling with this matter of, how do I know if I'm going to get to heaven? And, and if so, with the Holy Spirit, can, can He help settle this aspect in my life? And, and others may be dealing with needs in their lives. And, 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 and why not bring those needs to the one who actually can supply what you need? He wants to adopt you into his family. And if you have never given your life to Christ, man, today would be a great day to start afresh, to begin anew, to know that the blessing that God wants to bestow upon you through his spirit that will guarantee you of what is yet to come, today may be the wonderful day that you start. Here's an interesting thing about this adoption. He doesn't force us into his family. He, he wants you to, to say, yeah, I, I want to be there too. And if you want to be a part of that family of Christ, he tells us simply, you've got to put your faith and your trust in him got to repent of that old lifestyle. You've got to bury that, that, that old man, that, that old woman that just continues to pursue the things of this flesh. Be baptized into Jesus and to begin a new life in Him. Allow His Spirit to help guide you and direct you and provide for you from this day forward. Let's pray.
Father, we are thankful for Jesus. We are thankful for what He has done. I want to be adopted into your family. That's more than we would have hoped. We would have just liked to have somehow gotten off a little bit of a lighter sentence than having to face the death penalty of sin. But you've gone above and beyond. And your grace was amazing. Father, help us to live faithful to you, to be noticeable to the world around us that we are a part of your family, that we act like you, we talk like you, we, we have an appearance of, of you walking about in this world by who we are today, taking on your spirit in our lives and the very nature that is opposite of this nature of this world. Help us to be spirit-filled, that we change our world for the better. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.